What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well today. It is Thursday, May 23rd. It is, this is Raphael Garcia back with Shawan News for episode 121 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Shawan, want to let everybody know how you're doing, sir. Not too bad. Busy as always, but no complaints here. Where you, uh, where do the girls have you running around to now? Uh. I got back, one had practice, another one studying for finals, and the other one's at a, uh, she's doing some kind of play, if I recall correctly. What? You don't know You don't know who she's playing? No, she's a, she's a friend of hers is graduating, and for her finals, she has, her friend has a direct to play. A ah. lot of people ban- bailed out of it, so now she has to come in and help her out with it. Oh, that's what's up, man. That's a pretty good friend. Good friend, much better than me. I, I wouldn't help my friend at all. I'd just be like, you know what, you want your own. Man, somebody, I tell them, I'm like, I'm all for helping people. I'm a very helpful person, but I'm like, you need to save your time and your money because people will run you into the ground helping. Well, if we're talking about running into the ground, we're going to talk about stage and record later on, but we have and Kevin Lee. But we got a couple of different topics to talk about today, man. So um, let's go ahead and kind of jump right in and look back at this past weekend's MMA action, starting off with one Kevin Lee and RDA where – we saw that Rafael Dos Anjos got the fourth round finish, I believe, on RDA, submitting him with a head and arm uh, choke to get um, the former lightweight contender out of there. You know, um, RDA is a former lightweight champion himself, also a former top challenger to the welterweight title there. What do you think about this finish here, man? Um, a lot of the conversation right now is around Kevin Lee and his cardio and the issues that he's struggling with. But before we talk about Lee, I want to talk about RDA. Um, what do you think his overall legacy will be in this sport? Because I think he's like 24 and 11. And if you remember this guy, he's a, he's a man who Jeremy Stevens has one of the greatest KO highlight reel wins over where he, he almost hit him with a, uh, with a straight shuriken and knocked, almost knocked his head off. When you think about RDA, what do you think his legacy will be in, in this sport? Uh, I think a lot of it's going to be how he turned his whole career around, to be honest. Because at one point, I think he was 500 in the UFC. And essentially, he went on a winning streak, turned it around, got a title. And if I recall correctly, he de- defended the title once or twice before losing it. So he's a chief example of how you can really, if you're willing to pay a price, if you're willing to make changes, if you're willing to sacrifice, that you can really turn your life around at any moment. Because at one point, he was getting ready to be cut from the UFC. And he went from that guy to a guy who was a world champion and considered one of the better 155 champions of all time, or at least one of the better ones. If not, I wouldn't say the best, one of the better ones. What do you think that was the biggest thing that he changed about himself as a fighter to help that turnaround? Because, yeah, there was a point in time where he was getting starched left and right, and you wondered just how long he would be in the UFC. I think the biggest thing he changed was his aggression. I think he used to grapple a little bit more. He became more aggressive and he became more confident on the feet. He started marching guys down using the clinch, low kicks, punching into the clinch and kind of overwhelming guys from that point before he had a hard time getting people to where he wanted them in the fight and keeping them there. And then he also had a hard time defending himself on the feet. So he kind of switched around his styles to the point where he's just going to pressure you. You fire a shot and he, he is, he's going to aggressively counter you. I walk in on you, make you feel like you have to punch, punch or kick. And when you punch or kick, I fire off a counter. I use that to beat you up, get you to the cage, take you down, and work you over. So he, he essentially just reversed his roles and got a little bit more comfortable and took advantage of the 
I guess, the durability and physicality we didn't know he had before, especially on the feet. And we've seen how much that that has um, benefited him over the last few years in, in his growth. Do we ever see him become a two-division champion and get that welterweight title? And what needs to happen for that to occur? Or is it because of fighters like Tyron Willing and, and, and Kamar Usman that he's just going to be outside of that range? Honestly, I, I don't. I think he. I said it. I said it last week before we talked about the fight. I think Tyron Woodley would have been a great fight for him because Woodley, even though he's powerful and explosive, as we saw against Usman and we saw against Rory McDonald, he's really only or even Stephen Thompson, he's really only powerful and explosive for about a round and a round and a half, especially if he has to work as far as taking shots and generating offense of his own. So after if RDA gets through the first round and a half, I would think RDA would slowly take the fight over and break him down. Woodley, Woodley just can't wrestle for five rounds. He's not defensively sound for five rounds. He can't be offensively effective for five rounds on the feet either. So Woodley's actually a good matchup, and I wish he would have got Woodley instead of fighting Covington for the interim title because I think he would have beat him. Now, Usman's another case. Usman's so big and Usman's so physical that it exploits some of the holes that RDA has in his, his game plan, mainly that he's not great off his back, mainly that he's not great off his back foot, and he's put in those positions. So a guy like Usman and Covington are the reasons he kind of has a holding pattern as far as being a, a legitimate title contender. But guys like Woodley, guys like Kevin Lee, those are the kind of guys who, if he had to fight for titles, would put him in perfect position to win. So you're a matchmaker right now. What do you do next with RDA? Where do you put him in this division? Because you can't throw him right back in it. I mean, he can't have a um, Kobe Covington for the title. He's currently ranked at Welter. He's currently ranked number three. And Obi and only um Woodley and Covington are ahead of him. Do you give him I don't know, do you give him a, a Ben Askren? I'll be pretty interested in that fight. Uh what about the winner of Anthony Pettis, Jorge Masvidal? What do you do next with, with RDA? Um if Masvidal gets past Askren He's not gonna want to. He's not gonna fight RDA. He's gonna win a title shot. If Askren gets past Masvidal, I I assume he would take RDA. But I, I would think that he'd be looking for a title shot. His title shot as well. Um, RDA is in a in a predicament because he's a named guy and he's coming off a big win, even though he had two previous losses. Um, I'm assuming somebody like Ponzinibbio might get him. I'm not really sure whose dance card is filled, but he's gonna win somebody with, who's on a win streak or somebody with name value. If Covington somehow beats Usman, I could see how you can make an argument for a rematch with um, RDA because RDA was more competitive with Coving was more co- was competitive with Covington, and um, but really, I, I know Anthony Pettis probably wouldn't fight him. Maybe Steve, no, not Stephen Tom, maybe Stephen Thompson. No, I can't even be Stephen Thompson. He hasn't fought. He hasn't fought one yet. I'm guessing maybe Masvidal or Askren will be the only other viable options as far as guys who are closer to the title than he is. Because I assume that Rafael doesn't want to do any – he doesn't want to take any steps backwards. That's what I assume. Some good thoughts there, man. So let's talk – let's switch to his opponent, Kevin Lee. Um, the guy was coming up from the lightweight division. A lot of people look at him as someone that could be a champion at 155. There was even talks about – his name was thrown around as a potential – uh, title challenge if they ever introduced a 165 pound division, but here it is at 170, and he's still having the late fight cardio issues that he's had before. 
what is his issue here? And are we seeing are we seeing what Kevin Lee is like like um like NFL coach the late great uh, Dennis Green said or was it Danny Green one of the two said that we that he, that they are what we thought they were. Are we looking at that with Kevin Lee right now? Is he someone that's a great front runner who can't finish fight late fights late, or is he just struggling to maintain his weight and that's impacting his cardio? Well, it's a combination of both. One, he is he is who we thought he is. He is a front runner. He's always been a front runner. In fights where he hasn't had his way, he hasn't done particularly well. If if you can survive it and keep putting pressure on him, he tends to fade. His defense tends to fall apart. His willingness to open up on offense tends to fall apart. Having against Aya Quinta, it's happened. I forgot who else beat him. There's a couple of guys who beat him, and essentially he started off hot and slowed down and kind of got worked over. Even against Edson Barboza in a fight that he won, he was clearly dominating got rocked for a round and a half, was holding on before turning it back on to finish. The problem with Kevin Lee is, in general, is that he's not as good an athlete as he thinks he is. He's not a Tyrone Woodley type, um, Joel Romero type athlete, somebody who's so dynamic and so explosive that even if he's not in the right positions, he can get you down. Even if he's not in the right positions, he can hold you down. Even if he's not, his textbook, his stand-up isn't textbook and clean he can still be effective because he's so explosive and so powerful. That's not Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is a, an above-average athlete, but he's not a great one. And But the thing is, he fights like a guy, guy who is an above-average athlete. He throws his punches and kicks like they're fight-enders. And Kevin Lee has never been a one-shot kind of guy. And his attention to detail, detail on defense is beyond awful. His whole defense is based on his ability to, to put you on the defensive with his offense. If you can handle his shots, and you're not, not really, you're not afraid to punch with him, you're not afraid to pressure him, Kevin Lee's defense will start opening up in holes and you can start working them over. We just saw it with Iaquinta. We saw it with RDA. The only advantage Kevin Lee had at lightweight was that Kevin Lee was a big, strong lightweight and he could physically bully guys because he was more, he's actually a welterweight who cuts down to lightweight. He could bully guys. He could lay on them. He could kind of throw them around. Even if he couldn't get the right position or the right grips, he could still power them down to a degree. But at welterweight, that doesn't exist. And that was the problem. That's what I talked about before the fight. I thought Kevin Lee could win this fight. He's a good enough grappler. He's a good enough athlete to where I figured he could at least control RDA, work for submission, threaten him, kind of work him over a little bit, and get at least eke by on points. But the problem was Kevin Lee, he just he fought a fight that he could maintain. He fought. He basically broke my rule. My rule with fighters is do not set a pace you can't maintain or you can't build on. He set a pace that he had no ability to maintain. He had no ability to build on. So he wasted all his energy for, trying to force takedowns trying to pressure RDA when he's not a pressure fighter. And as he started slowing down, as I said last week, RDA, if you slow down, RDA is going to jump on you and RDA is going to finish. And that's exactly what happened. He fought the wrong fight that exposed every single one of his limitations. One, being a front runner. Two, having bad defense. Three, not being particularly durable. Four, not having great cardio. All four of those things got exposed because he tried to force a fight that he mentally and physically is not built for. So it's partly a lack of, it's partly on him being who he is. It's partly lack of skills and in my opinion that part of that lack of skills falls on his camp because ever since his head trainer passed he hasn't fought with the discipline the balance or the uh the intelligence that he showed in previous fights it's it's just a combination of things and they all got exposed last saturday so how do you rebuild him um what fights do, do you talk to him about Going back down to 155, you talked to him about staying at 170. He's already kind of went out and said that he plans on staying at welterweight. So what do you do with him 
next and looking at this division, you can't do you give them somebody outside of the one outside of uh, the, the the top 15 or do you look at names like maybe a Neil Magny or um, uh, Vicente Luque? You put him in there with somebody like that or Mike Perry. You can't put him with Luke. Luke is too explosive. If he can't hold RDA down, Luke will explode back up and, and finish him much faster because he doesn't have the defense to survive with a guy like that who can defend his shots or get back to his feet and explode with combinations or single shots that can put you away. The thing with Kevin Lee is they, I believe they took this fight with RDA because they said, you're a big, long athletic wrestler. You can pressure him, take him down, wear him out. They didn't understand that RDA is a fighter who's been fighting against much bigger, stronger wrestlers with much better cardio for the better part of a year, two years now. How long has it been a welterweight? Two years, three years? So he's his body's grown. His physicality, while not able to match these guys, has also improved because he's been forced to fight guys who are more physical. It's like a, if you rest, you gra- you've been grappling with NCAA champion wrestlers, and then I put you in with some guys who've just been doing BJJ recreationally the physicality difference is going to be noticeable. You'll be manhandling these guys. Even if they have submissions, you'll manhandle them because you're used to such strength, such balance, such physical contact. You'll manhandle guys who aren't on that level. So RDA has been dealing with Uzma. He's been dealing with Covington. He's been with these bigger guys and training with bigger guys to be prepared for bigger guys. And then you have, you have Lee, who's not as big a welterweight, who's coming in, who's trying to bully you, who's trying to pressure you and walk you down. What? That, that's not going to work. So they, they thought it was a good style matchup that's why they jumped in the fight when in actuality the same thing i said even if he beats rda you need to move him slowly he's not a big welterweight he's not a great defensive fighter on the feet or on the ground he's not a great offensive fighter on the feet or on the ground you need to let him slowly acclimate so he can tailor he can establish his identity at that weight class and learn how to balance out his skill set while fighting guys who are reasonable matchups but guys he can beat guys who can teach him where he's weak but not make him pay for it but instead they went all the way to the deep end and if you really look at it rda might be the very best opponent he's facing his entire career so when you first move to a new weight class you're going to face the best guy you've ever faced just because he has a hard time with wrestlers who can who can pressure him that's great but you're not a pressure wrestler so there's a way would, he could beat him he chose not to take it and there, there i would fight say for him, that but he chose to try to take the I would say that looking at Kevin Go Lee's ahead, career, no, no, you're, you're fine. I would say that looking at Kevin Lee's career, uh, Tony Ferguson is definitely the top name that he's faced. Remember, Ferguson also has that win over RDA. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a second. This sure. is a, this is this is the the second a name out of that group. Though, remember, with what that fight went similar to this one. He he, he came. He no, came yeah, you're definitely right. Ferguson was looking good. You're right. Yeah. And then he gassed out and got triangled. I, I it, think, a, yep, in the third round. Yeah, it, it's it's very confusing because I understand why he took the RDA fight. I even said that he could win it. I just thought he would fight in a manner that played to his strengths a little bit more than what he did. And you just don't take that jump in welterweight. I mean, it wasn't like he was a champion at lightweight and he's jumping up. He's coming off a loss at lightweight to a guy who's not a top five lightweight, in my opinion. And then he's jumping up to a guy who used to be a top three lightweight, and it's still a top 10 welterweight. It just wasn't very good matchmaking on the part of his team. I understand why they took it, but they over, they, it's, it, just, it just shows me that either his team or his camp doesn't know what kind of fighter he is. Because if you know what kind of fighter he is, you don't take that fight because it's not a fight that matches up with who he is mentally, who he is technically, or who he is physically. 
that's a, it was a fight he could win, but it's the fight he could lose. And I said that last week. So they tried to take a swing, take a big jump so he could get in the top 10 of welterweight, and he paid for it. So they need to take a big step back. He needs to take, to me, six to eight months off, start working on specific skills, working on specific areas, and then slowly try to work his way back into the mix at welterweight. There is no rush. What's Kevin Lee like, 27, 28? He might even be younger than 26. that. He's got time. 26. There's no rush. I think that he really needs to he's go back to the table. Uh, he's 26. 26. He's got a lot of time. He he need, yeah he, he's he's got lots of time he's 30 he's not 31 he's 26 he's got lots of time there is no rush they need to stop treating their career like it's some um, race like it's a sprint and treat it like it's a marathon you don't skip steps you don't skip moves you don't you don't try to move faster than you can you can process you take the appropriate steps to develop develop your skills develop your awareness develop your mentality and slowly move up the scale so that when you move up you're not having these huge huge valleys peaks and valleys and that's all his career has been Huge peaks, huge valleys. And and he's going to ruin himself if he keeps up at this rate. He needs to take a step back, take six to eight months off, work on his craft, find another camp, work on his craft, whatever, and then come back and start from maybe a top 14 rank welterweight and slowly work his way up. True that, true that. I like your um, thoughts on that there. Uh, let's also talk about someone else who didn't perform quite what we thought in um, Megan Anderson, or Megan Anderson, excuse me, I think it's Megan Anderson. She dropped. What we her wait, a wait a minute. Did you say did you perform? By, no. How we thought she performed. How we thought she was going to perform. <laughs> I was going to let you add that. Um, but yeah, she got submitted in the first round. Man, rear naked choke. Three minutes in, and she gets tapped by former uh, Invicta champion of Felicia Spencer. What were your thoughts here? And let's kind of break this fight down, man. What do you? What did you see here? Well, I I like to make this more technical, but. I'm trying to be polite and saying this about Megan. She's quite awful. She's pretty terrible. And to think that at some point people actually argued with me on Twitter, argued with me to my face that she could be Chris Cyborg. They thought that this woman was going to come in and be Chris Cyborg. Does anybody see how comical that is now? I mean, she can't we, grapple. We, she can't wrestle. And the worst thing about it, she, go ahead. No, I'm saying we often hear those kind of speculations when. We see individuals pounding other other men or women in other uh, organizations. Yeah, the the biggest thing with Anderson is Anderson is she she's no offense Angela Hill. Angela Hill's a much better fighter than this, so don't take offense, Angela. But she has a little bit of Angela Hill in her. She has a look. She has a charisma. She kind of takes over a room. She has a style. She's attractive. That's open doors for her. But like Angela Hill said, there's pretty girls and there's pretty girl there's ugly girls who can fight pretty girls who can't fight, who get pushed. And then there's a few pretty girls who can't fight. Megan Anderson is not in that group of pretty girls who can fight because everybody tells me she's a noted striker. She's not very fast. She doesn't hit very hard. Her defense is awful. She's really just a big, long, fairly athletic girl who's got a good look, witty sound bites, and some charisma. She really is not that good a fighter. And I told people this before the home fight. Home was going to beat her. I didn't tell a lot of people that home was going to wrestle her, even though I saw that coming. So you got out wrestled by Holly Holm, which isn't a good, good look. You beat Kat Zingano by kicking her in the eye with your big toe. Once again, not her fault. So I guess it's a legitimate win. And then you get submitted by Felicia Spencer, who nobody, who's on nobody's pound for pound list, nobody's top 10 list, nobody's list for fighters to be prepared for. This is disastrous for her. And Megan Anderson has essentially been exposed as a hype job. I mean, 
Sage Northcutt isn't a hype job. He could fight. He held his own for a moment against better opposition. He's gotten beaten by everybody with any sort of talent of skill on a world-class level. And I don't, I don't know where they go from here. She needs to take a long time off and really work on her skills. Because to be quite honest, she could easily be 0-3. Because if Kat Zingano had any sense at all, Kat Zingano would have just ran out the gates, tackled her, and either submitted her or ground and pounded her. The only reason that fight went the way it did is because Kat Zingano, for some reason, decided to kickbox with her. When nine times out of ten, the first thing Kat Zingano does is go balls to the wall, jump on, take you down, and pound you. If she would have did that to Megan Anderson, Megan Anderson would be 0-3 right now. The UFC was trying to build her, and they can't build someone who doesn't have the skills to be built. He's been exposed. And if her camp has had her going out like this with these skills, they've been exposed too. And if the rumor is true that she lost 20 pounds in a day before the fight class fight, then her, her camp's been doubly exposed. You haven't developed her skills, you haven't developed her IQ, and you haven't prepared her properly for a fight, which is the biggest fight of her career. It, it's just a calamity of error. And it, it's kind of embarrassing. And I don't dislike her, but people are like, you're being too harsh on her. What do you want me to say? What has she done to make me say anything of the opposite? I mean, the Bantamweight division for women is pretty thin and pretty weak. She makes all of them look like world champions. That's how bad she is. I can't think of another fighter who's fought worse than her in the past year and a half. That, that girl who Valentina beat half to death, Prochera, mm-hmm. she put up a better fight than what um, Anderson did. This is, this is really bad. This isn't even professional MMA. You couldn't have thought that was a professional fight when you saw that. That you, I mean, you're a grappler. What did you think when you saw her get submitted so quickly? It, um, how can I put it in the words? She, she just didn't look. She looked like I'll put it this way, but I'm gonna link it back to what you asked about her weight cut. To me, she looked like someone who knew what to do, but was so tired her body wasn't reacting. And you could equate that to if she really did have to cut that way. I think they were saying. Um, I was listening to uh, the MMA beat today. And they were talking about how she potentially walks around at 175 pounds. So if that's the case, I mean, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of weight to have to cut. And I can see how that will cause you to kind of shut down and have to drag yourself through. And you get and you would get submitted to something as simple as a rear naked choke. How, how big is how big is Cyborg? Doesn't she walk around in a similar weight? Yeah, she uh, she walks around. I've I've heard of her walking around at close to 185, 180, 185. I don't want I don't I don't want to be insensitive, but and and I'm not a fighter. I haven't had to cut weight, but once again, that's not how I make my living. And I don't call out other fighters saying they're scared of me or I deserve to be the best or I deserve to be at this level. There could be a ton of reasons why that happened, but the fact of the matter, it did happen. And the fact of the matter, in three fights in the UFC, she has shown nothing at all that makes you think that she is UFC caliber. Maybe somebody else has seen something. I haven't. And the UFC put everything into her, thinking that she would be a next big challenger for Cyborg, maybe a potential challenger for Nunes now that she has the belt. And she's out of a four, a three-woman divi- four woman division, she's the fourth in the division. And they, they brought in people for her to fight and for her to beat. And she has not been able to do so with any sort of style or any sort of dominance at all. I mean, I can't see how this is anything but a huge failure for her. And and if you're sick, considering the importance of this fight career, you have to you have to cancel the fight. I mean, what's worse, canceling the fight or getting choked out by a girl who nobody really thought of as a legitimate threat to you? Is it being mm-hmm. one and two in the in the best and weakest division in the entire UFC? What's worse, pull out or be one and two and be finished? 
in less than a round. I mean, you're not wrong there, sir. and you're breaking up just a little bit. Like, like you're breaking up just a little bit. Like, uh, she she so couldn't afford to lose. Yeah, Sorry. No. Still breaking she up couldn't afford to lose this fight, and she did, and it wasn't exciting. Okay. Let's try it again. You got me? Yeah, yeah, I, I got you now. She couldn't afford to lose this fight, and she did, and she lost it in the most one-sided, almost embarrassing way possible. I don't really know what they do from with her from this point on. She can't cut to 135. At this point, it seems like she should probably leave the UFC and try to go to 155 and see if the professional fighters league will take her. Because I mean, somebody I, 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 I heard that too. she she. Yeah, she probably should have. She's cutting that much weight. She probably should have done that before she came to the UFC because she could have got a pretty decent contract with the PFL. They needed fighters for Kayla Harrison. They needed experienced, accomplished fighters. Now her name doesn't have any weight behind it. She doesn't. She's not going to get paid a big salary. She's going to have to rebuild herself and her entire career. So she's going to essentially have to start from scratch. Any goodwill she has is gone now. So she's got to start all all over to see to, to get back to where she was right now. So she couldn't afford to lose this fight and she lost it. And I feel bad for her, and I'm sure she's a good fighter, and I'm sure she's a good person, but we can only go by the results. It's a results business. If the UFC wasn't successful, she wouldn't want to fight with them. She hasn't been successful. We can't lie about that. And she's looked bad in all her losses before the UFC and in the UFC. Felicia Spencer just wrote her own ticket. She's probably going to get to fight Cyborg or possibly Nunes. So, I mean, she's she got herself a name, beat a big star in the UFC. And now she's gonna she's gonna get another fight with another star in the UFC, or she could drop down a band and weight and compete there. Either way, she's got a great start to her career. Megan Anderson's had a terrible one. So, do you think that Spencer is now slated to be the top contender for whoever comes out of Nunez home? Um, I don't know that she get Nunez home. I think her best bet would be to to, to go with a cyborg fight. I mean, it's a big name fight. She if she gets smoked. Nobody's going to care because, um, I mean, cyborg, cyborg. So they're expecting her to win. If she can go some rounds, it makes her look even better. 35 will always be there if she wants to go to it. But right now, you take the money fight. You take the big fight that will get your name out there. You take the fight that if you win or if you're even competitive in, is going to make your name that much bigger. That's cyborg. And, you know, we don't get a lot of breaking news. Because she could go we don't get a lot of breaking news on MMA ratings at all, but did you see this PFL knockout by Damon John, uh, Jackson? By Flying Knee? Oh, yeah, the knee? Yeah, good God. Oh, my. Yeah, that was... Good God almighty. Okay. Um, that was I, I mean, uh... If, if I was a fighter, I, I'd probably retire from fighting. Yeah, whew, I just saw it again. Okay, that, that was nasty. Okay, um... Let's, let's keep on talking from... from I don't know there. They know that person. Has that was a nasty. That was a nasty one. I would tell them if I get knocked out that other, bad, don't play it again. I have faith. Seriously, do not play that. Do not play that clip anymore. There's a couple other fights from Saturday I want to talk about, and the first one is uh, the Desmond Green Charles uh, Jordan fight, where uh, Green defeated a debuting Charles Jordan. But a lot of people think this fight was a lot closer than it was. I had Desmond winning two to one. But uh, he definitely looked like he, I don't want to say he took his foot off the gas per se, but it looked, well, first and foremost, let me say this. Listening to the fight, the commentary on skewed how it, it felt to me because the commentators, especially Paul Felder, were talking about the fight as, as if it was much more 
close than it was on the scorecard. So that's something I want to do. I do want to go back and watch this fight without the commentary on. But what did you think about this fight? How did you have it scored? And was this a good win for Green? Or do you think that this fight kind of exposed that he has some issues there? I think any win's a good win. It just, you didn't see, like, there should have, with somebody like Desmond Green who's been in the UFC for a little bit and has, has had a sort of extended career against a debuting fighter, you expect to see a gap, like kind of a separation that says, okay, this guy's clearly the UFC fighter. This is the guy coming in. You see the, you see the difference. This is what this guy's, ha- this, this guy's got to learn. This kind of experience, this kind of pacing, this kind of physicality. You're used to seeing that kind of gap. You see a lot of debuting fighters get beat. Even if they don't get stopped, they get beat handily. This guy seemed like he was on par with Green. And I'm not saying that that is an insult to him, but you, on Green's behalf, you expected him to kind of separate, like not just win rounds, but win them with some space in between them, where it says like he won them and it's a clear win for him. It's not a close, it's not a competitive. It's just a, he, he was dominating position. He was working this guy over. Even when this guy had moments, he wasn't really in control. Desmond had this guy where he wanted him. And I never felt that he, he had the guy right where he wanted him at any point in the fight. I felt like there's points where maybe he could have got to him in a position where he could finish but you know the fact of the matter is he didn't and I don't really think he was ever that close to finishing I don't think he was ever that close to really taking over the fight not where you just win rounds but where it's like you know it might just be a 10-9 but it's a clear 10-9 that guy had had no chance to be competitive in that round because you clearly controlled it I didn't see that from Desmond Green and I didn't see the ability to take over the fight or to end the fight which was uh, um, a little bit shocking to me not once again not because of his opponent but you just expect that experience against a higher class of opponent to show in a fight with a guy who hasn't had as much experience on the big, on the big stage against world-class opposition. True that there, true that. Um, I didn't want to kind of dive into this fight too much, but the one I really wanted to dive into was the Sajar Eubanks Aspen last fight, because that fight was not what any of us expected it to be. It was probably, it was my favorite fight on the card. One of the better fights of the year. And Yes, Lad got the victory. I expected Lad to get a much more dominant win by a lot of ground and pound and just kind of dominating the position like she did in the second round. But Sajar showed me something there. What were your thoughts about this fight there, and, and how did you have it scored? Uh, because I saw some people even had it as a, as, as a draw. Yeah, I didn't have it as a draw. I thought Sajar showed the – thing that, the thing that impressed me about Sajar is she showed improved shot selection – she showed a little bit better defense and she showed a little bit more structure in how she applied her, her offense. I still think she's a fighter who only fight, who only really fights in spots, but now because her boxing's got a little bit cleaner, her striking and her setups got a little bit cleaner. When she fights in those spots, she's a lot more effective. It's not just one big shot, puts you on your heels and then she kind of works you over. It's, it's their shots are well set up off of movement. She put it, she's putting shots together and she's a little bit harder to hit because of her stance and how she's how she's throwing her strikes. Her strikes aren't lo- aren't as loaded up. They're not as telegraphed. They're a little bit smoother. They're a little bit better set up. So it's harder to catch her in continuously. The biggest problem Sajar had is Aspen Ladd, while not a great stand-up fighter, she isn't. She throws lots of volume just for the sake of throwing volume because she has no what else to do. But she's very durable. She fights at a very high pace and she fights at a continuous pace. And that's essentially what got Eubanks beat because Eubanks she had really big moments. But in, when she wasn't having those really big moments where she was like slamming her or landing big shots, the other time she was just she was just getting out out hustled, outworked. She was just getting mm-hmm. outworked. And as good as she is on the ground, 
one of her big issues is her cardio is so bad. Like she, if you really watch her fight, she has three or four big spots. And if those spots don't turn the fight around or put her in control, she essentially gets, she essentially gets outworked in all her fights. So when you get the grappling exchanges, as you know, grappling is very exhausting, especially when you throw strikes in there. And if you notice, Sajari out on top, she's not particularly great on the ground. She, she's not really great defending or getting back into position. That happened against Roxy and Mataferi. It happened against Aspen Ladd. She really had no ability to get back, back up, and she really had offered nothing as far as counters or attacks from the ground when she was taken down. So she was essentially forced to just try to hold on and try to defend as Aspen Ladd just won on positioning and work rate. And that's essentially what she was happening in the third round until she got into a good position, turned it on, started fighting that last couple minutes and made the fight a lot closer than it was before. Even in the first round, I, I, I don't think she was winning. She had that really big explosion in the beginning, really big explosion at the end. They, they won it around. But as far as the consistency from minute to minute, there's a lot of dead time with Sajar Eubanks. And the only reason that hurts her abana weight is because her power doesn't carry from flyweight. If flyweight, she could crush girls one or two shots. Ibanaway, she's going to have to constantly put shots together to get that same effect. And I don't know that she can work at a pace necessary. Skill-wise, though, she's great. She's got the skills to be a contender. I don't know that she has the conditioning to be a contender. Because when, her, when, her, when she gets tired, her offense goes and her defense falls off a cliff. And it's one thing to not throw as many shots. It's another thing to not throw as many shots and to get hit by twice as many shots as you did before. It's yeah. not an lad. Physical, tough, durable. She needs to work on her defense, and she needs to get some structure to her offense. Bantamweight's not great, but there's enough girls. Irene Aldana, even Betch Cohea, Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm. There's a lot of girls who can match her physicality, and if she can't lean on her physicality, especially on the feet, she, she's going to get hurt, and she's going to get hurt bad. When she gets knocked out, it's going to be bad. It is going to be real bad when it happens. Yeah, definitely um, from my standpoint, I was I was expecting uh, Sajar to do better on the ground. I was expecting her to get more takedown, or at least look for more takedown. Do you know who she trains with, perchance? She, Sajara was in, um, up, up north because with uh, Ricardo I, I Almeida and Mark Henry. That I think that her her camp, I don't think is bad. It's kind of like the Jessica Andrade thing where they have her playing to her strengths. They have an established identity with her, and I like that. They don't get too fancy. They don't get too far away from what she does well. But even in knowing what you do well, you have to have enough layers that if a person can neutralize what you do well, you have to have enough that you can thread them in another range and force them back into the range that you want to be in. And right now, Aspen Ladd doesn't seem to have the layers to force somebody in the range that she doesn't want to be in. If she can't physically bully you, if she can't manhandle you and outpace you, I don't think she has any other ideas. I don't think she has an effective plan B. Her striking offensively isn't good enough, and her striking defensively isn't good enough. It's depending too much on physical tools. And once those physical tools level off, she is going to get hurt and hurt bad in, in these exchanges. Jar, are you been He's almost got her out there. A better condition fighter will. And Irene Aldana, she might get her out of there. She, she'll make her pay the price. And Amanda Nunes will make her pay the price. A Holly Holm will make her pay the price. Ketlin Vieira will make her pay the price. That some of these other girls maybe can't at this stage. Uh, some good thoughts there, man. Some good thoughts. Is there anything else from this card that stood out to you other than my boy uh, Dobronsky getting that, that nasty stoppage? So were there any other fights that you want to talk about on there? Uh, just the, the, I mean, you know, Charles, Charles Bronx did his thing, but like we talked about, you know, he is going to continue to excel against fighters like that. Rafael? Uh, Swan, can you hear me? Okay. Well, I'm thinking Rafael's having a minor issue with his Swan, computer right now. can you now. hear me? So what I'm going to do is we're going to 
and move on to 1FC. We have a little bit of discussion about uh, our good man, Sage Northcutt, uh, who suffered a devastating KO, one-punch KO loss to Cosme Alexandra. I think that's how you say his name. I apologize if I said it wrong. Um, Sage was a big signing for the 1FC. Not sure he was star with the UFC, but he was active in social media. He had kind of a, a character or a shtick that he, he sold to the, uh, the media and the MMA community. So he was a guy that they felt had the potential to, to, you know, maybe put some butts in seats, maybe bring some fans in, the younger fans, maybe appeal to some of the martial arts fans because of his, his traditional martial arts background. But, um, and the fact that he's young, he's athletic, and he's, he's somewhat of a dynamic fighter. And coming off of two wins in a row at the UFC, a lot of guys were looking at him as somebody maybe they could, they could build into a potential star that wouldn't just be a star in Japan, but they could build him up, get him on a win streak, maybe have him have some spectacular wins or, or wins over some spectacular competition, and then repackage him and reintroduce him to the American public, and hopefully have maybe a two, a two, not a two sports star, but a two continent star, a guy who's popular overseas, a guy who's popular in the in the in America. Because even though Sage wasn't one of the most accomplished fighters in the in UFC, he's probably a guy like I said, he's a guy who drew eyes. Who, who had attention and who had people who who kind of people related to to a certain degree. Unfortunately for him, that did not work out. He went to one of C, and as I stated earlier, he got knocked out and knocked out in devastating fashion. It wasn't really competitive. It wasn't back and forth. It was just a fight where he established some range. He got pressured. He got to the ropes. He didn't defend himself well in the pocket, and he got blasted, and that was it. The fight was done. Now, in hindsight, you hear how much damage was done to his eye and done to his face with that one shot. And it makes you wonder a couple things. One, how is he not, not more prepared in who he was facing? The guy he's facing is a guy who's an experienced, very seasoned kickboxer. Strong, athletic, very durable, hits very hard. A guy like that wouldn't be somebody I would have Sage come into a fighting organization and fight right off the bat. I'd probably want Sage to face somebody who's a little less experienced, a guy who there's a little bit more margin for error as far as mistakes. And against this guy, there wasn't any. I mean, he's a devastating knockout puncher. And you don't put a guy in who's making his debut and who's a guy you think is a potential star or a fighter who your management or your camp believes to be a potential star. You don't put him in against that kind of guy. I understand the logic of facing Sorry about that, folks. I'm not sure what's quite going on with um, Schwann's audio there. I'm going to bring it back in. Hold on one second. Sorry about these technical issues, guys. Mm. Always something on the MMA rings. If I can quickly bring it back in. But yes, he was talking about Sage Northcutt and that stunning loss that he took that basically shattered his face. Um, it was a bad one. A, a lot of the reason why, it was, there's just so much to kind of break, break down here. I'm not sure if everyone saw 
uh, the interview that Luke Thomas did with, uh, what's his name? Uriah Faber, who has worked with his coach, he basically admitted that they should have asked more questions around this fight, particularly a couple in reference to, uh, what's his name, Cosme's uh, weight cut there, because they were saying that he looked, Cosmo, excuse me, he, he looked bigger than the 170-pound uh, weight class. And, I mean, just from the size difference in comparing the two, he definitely looked a lot bigger than uh, Sage. And they also talked about the potential issues that Sage had in fighting in the ring versus fighting in the cage, which, you know, Sage isn't a wrestler at, at any uh, in, in any shape or form. Um, Schwann, mute your um, camera for me. Uh, Sage isn't a wrestler in any shape or form, but he definitely uh, would have needed it in a fight such as this when he's facing someone who is so much more experienced and such a better striker, um, such a more experienced striker than he is. And man, he paid the results when he took that nasty right hand. That that Everything about that knockout looked scary. But uh, Shawan, what do you think about the conversation going on around Sage Northup right now? Well, first of all, I'm glad he's okay. I mean, that's when you hear about the damage that was done to his face. It it may, makes you realize how dangerous combat sports are. You know, any punch could literally kill, kill you. That's something that you hear about in like a car accident. So, so that's very jarring, and it's I'm glad to hear he's okay. Um, I don't think that should have been the first fight he he took in one FC. I don't even know if he, he should face a guy like that in one FC until like maybe a second, third, or fourth fight because of the, the nature of the fighter. Like, as you said before, he's an experienced, he's a knockout level striker. He's very durable. He's very athletic. And Sage has never been a guy with the, who's been the most durable guy in the first place. And he's mostly a striker. They try to sell him as a grappler or a wrestler. That, that's not true. He's mostly a striker. So I don't know that you put him in with a guy who can do that kind of damage with that kind of experience against a guy who's not a, not a one-shot knockout guy, a guy who's a great athlete, but a guy who's also not super durable. That, that that seemed like some bad matchmaking, maybe not on the part of 1FC because they're just trying to get their guys over and get ratings, but it wasn't good on the part of his team. You don't have to take every fight they offer you. There's not a law saying you have to take whatever fight they offer you. And I, I think his he was done a disservice in being placed in that fight by his team. So, Man, there's so much to kind of talk about here because I definitely want to talk about the angle that people assume, assume that one championship is, quote, unquote, the minor leagues, as that's been put it. But I want to talk about the ceiling for Sage Northcutt. And, no, and as we talk about this loss and talk about the violent way that he was knocked out, nobody's really talking about what success looks like for him. I don't see that question being answered. And there are many definitely different varying degrees of uh, success in professional sports. Um, I'll use an example, you know, Robert Ory, he was never a big name player in the NBA, never like an all-star, never like a, a franchise player. The man has, I think, seven championship uh, rings. So he definitely had a successful career. In reference to Sage Northcutt, what does a successful career look like for him? I was thinking about this the other day because if you want to talk about it financially, the man's already had a successful career. I mean, there was a time when he was getting paid 60 and 60 when a bunch of 
top ranked UFC fighters weren't getting that. So what are the different varying uh, degrees of success we can talk about when it comes to Sage and how does that look like for him? Well, I mean, as you said, there's there's a financial aspect. He's because his management made sure he got paid and he got paid more than a lot of seasoned veterans in UFC. And once again, in going to one FC, the UFC didn't want to pay him. So he found another organization that's a pretty big multimedia that has a pretty big backing, gets pretty decent ratings in their area. And he found, found another place to pay him. So if you're looking at it financially, he's already won. He's making good money for the risk he's taking. Maybe not the money he deserves as far as the risk, but much more money than a lot of guys who are more confident in him. If you want to look at his career, he hasn't had a bad career. He's not, he doesn't have a losing record as a mixed martial artist. Prior to this fight, he was coming off of two of his best wins in the UFC over legitimate, experienced, talented, skillful, durable UFC fighters. He had, what, two or three wins in a row in the UFC at a, at a higher weight class. So, and he had a winning record. He had a winning record overall in the UFC, has a winning record overall in a mixed martial arts career. So even in that instance, he's not failing. The question is, people thought that with his athleticism, he could possibly be a world champion. If that's going to be the the determinant for his success, I don't know that he's ever going to be a successful fighter. I personally don't know that he's physically durable enough to be a world championship fighter. And uh, much like good friends of the show, uh, Connor Rebush and Phil McKenzie have said on heavy hand, you have to have a certain level of durability and toughness. Spots, not just get through them and survive them, but thrive and come back. And also, if you're not physically durable, there's only certain ranges you can fight at. There's only Or the threat of just getting caught in it in out of position when you throw a certain strike. When you don't, when you know you can't take a certain kind of shot, you, you can only use certain tools, which limits your success even further in mixed martial arts. So you want to say that he's going to have a winning record? He can have some really good wins with some really bad losses in between, like maybe closer to a Donald Cerrone type of career. Then yeah, he, he can be great, but I, I don't know that he ever gets to world championship level. I just don't think he's durable enough. Athletic enough, yeah, he could become skillful enough, but I don't think it, I don't think he's going to be durable enough to get. What's interesting is that he's been fighting for a while. He has a, a vast number of fights. I think he's less than twenty-five years old. Um, Luke Thomas was talking about this today on his show. But is he again? Same thing with Kevin Lee. Is this the extent of his skills? Are we seeing? the best of, or like are we seeing Sage Northcutt at near peak potential and I think that that's really the question because I remember a fight he had a couple of years ago and his grappling just looked horrendous um his grappling just looked kind of horrendous and it just wasn't anything to really kind of talk about so you got to wonder if he's really growing in that area and if he's getting any better and what is the what is the highest level of, of growth and potential that we can really see from him as a uh, athlete. Brian, you there? All right, I'm not sure what's going on with Swan's audio there, but he cannot hear me. So I'm just going to go ahead and keep the show moving because that was a kind of, we, we had a pretty good conversation there about Sage. So let's see. I wanted to, I was actually coming up on the end of the show anyway because we have a weekend where we don't have any MMA action slated. 
Um, the big thing that's going down this week, and I plan on doing another podcast after this to talk about it, is AEW Double of Nothing, which is a, a big wrestling event this weekend. But outside of that, um, we are all done for this uh, edition of the show today. So I just wanted to go ahead and say thank you, as always, for listening to everything that we do here here at MMA Ratings. I appreciate your time. Um, please feel free to like our content that you see across Instagram and Twitter. Please be sure to subscribe to the MMA Ratings YouTube channel. We are one subscriber away from 100, trying to make um, some progress there. So please be our 100th uh, subscriber and share our content across social media. Please feel free to do so. I thank you all for, um, that you do for Swan Hughes. My name is Raphael Garcia. Thank you, everyone, and have a great weekend, and be safe over the Memorial Weekend holiday.